New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. A special thank you to our partners who make the New Zealand Tech Podcast possible and are proud supporters of the tech and innovation ecosystems here in New Zealand. They are Umbrella Connect, Vocus, Vodafone, Spark, HP and Gorilla Technology. Uh, today we're going to delve a little bit into Emirates Team New Zealand and the role that uh, technology and innovation uh, plays in their work as uh, they move to the, the cusp of the beginning of racing for the 36th America's Cup. I think this is pretty exciting because if we if we look back over the years, Emirates Team New Zealand has done uh, has done incredibly well. And I think there's a there's a key role that technology and innovation play here. So real privilege to welcome uh, first up uh, Tim Meldrum, designer at Emirates Team New Zealand. Thanks for coming along, Tim. Thanks for having me. And also we have uh, Ollie Hill from HP, GM uh, in the GM role now. Yes, um, country manager. Sorry, close enough. Okay, so I get these titles wrong. My apologies. <laughs> no, good to be here. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, great. Um, well, let's uh, let's delve in. Um, I'm keen to get a little bit of background to start with. Um, Tim, what's your background? And you know, you've uh, you've ended up in a in a pretty uh, you know exciting and, and important role. I think uh, a lot of Kiwis are you know watching on uh, to see how Emirates Team New Zealand does, and ultimately um, the design work behind. Behind the scenes is is pretty critical to um, the outcome. So, you know, how did you, how did you get here? Where did you? What was your first sort of involvement in the world of, of sailing and so on? Um, I've always been fascinated with how things work. So, grew up with a pretty handy father in a workshop. So, um, had had my hand around welding and making uh, trolleys to race in the local derby from a, from a young age. Um, and then also grew up sailing up at uh, Sandspit Yacht Club, racing out of Algies Bay. And it was a pretty humble affair up there, but it, I, I got a taste for the sea and, and boats. Um, so com- I guess combining that, my passion for how things work and a, quite a mechanical mind, naturally led me down the engineering path uh, with, with a sort of swing towards the marine side of things. So first job was as a draftsman and composite engineering company. And that evolved into more of a composite engineering role and um, then got into the Yachtmast area uh, with Southern Spars and um, just found the drawer of all the shiny bits a bit too much. So um, swung over into more of the mechanical design and yeah, that's, that, that was sort of my foot into engineering world, I guess. And, and along the way, I studied mechanical engineering. Cool. And so, how did you, how did the the door open into uh, into Team New Zealand for you? Yeah, that you know that was a childhood dream, and it uh, you know it was a long sort of hard fought battle to get in there. I guess I always wanted to do it, and um, it took me twenty years. So, you know, I, I worked in the real world, normal industries, uh, albeit marine ones, and um, just tried to you know do a good job of, of what I did there and. You know, got to know people within the industry, and one day I had a um, phone call from a ex colleague who worked for the team, and thought I should come along for an interview. So that was my, my big opportunity. And, what, did, what did that feel like? <laughs> was it quite a bit of pressure, like you know, having to go to that interview, or, or you'd already been told by your mate, like, look, you're, you're in and it's all good? Um, oh, 
yes and no. I mean, I probably overdressed. It was a bit more casual, I think, when I actually got there. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, I think it's a pretty down-to-earth team. That's one thing, a big thing about the team is the culture. It's um, it's all quite a level culture where everyone respects each other. It's quite a you know, flat structure. And, um, yeah, it was it was good there. Just a bit of a chat and talk about, about yourself. And it's pretty important that you've got the right attitude and temperament to fit in as well as obviously the skills yeah yeah cool oh that's awesome we'll look forward to uh delving into um into the role a little bit more um and oliver or ollie which do you prefer i usually call you ollie is that Ollie's right? good yeah, that's all right for ollie. yeah <laughs> um yeah great to finally have you on a podcast i mean i can't remember how many years ago that uh, that we we first met you've been working with hp for how many how many years well, it's coming up 17 years which you know obviously i started when i was about 12 <laughs> um, uh, so no it's been been a, a long time and uh you know uh, sort of HP is sort of similar to um, Team New Zealand in terms of cultures um, and, and that we're innovating all the time. People say, oh, 17 years, isn't that boring? I was like, if I look back 17 years, we're a completely different company yeah. than we are today, um, which yeah, keeps a lot of a lot of our team because a lot of people that have been around a long time. Uh, same thing, it, yeah, it's always refreshed, always um, something new. So mm. Yeah, I think, look, there's, there's something to be said for have, having um, you know team members that have got a history with the business and you know, some businesses things seem to sort of you know flip over on such a regular basis no one really has too much of the the background and I guess relationships sort of can fall by the wayside so uh, it's, it's probably a good thing in, in, in many ways. Well it's high trust levels right yeah. you know each other for a long time mm. so you can do more innovative things with a higher level of trust so yeah, yeah. it works for us. Yeah cool well um, and and um, as well as being a short supporter of uh, New Zealand Tech Podcast there's a, obviously a, um, a close relationship Relationship there with Emirates um, Team New Zealand. Mm. I'm always sort of you know curious how these things come about because especially one like this where it's not just sort of a, a logo you know slapped on a, a boat or or a sail. Um, you know was it a was it a big deal trying to you know get this thing across uh, you know across the line and um, mm. you know make it work as a partnership. Yeah, it's, it's evolved, right? So this time we're, we're a sponsor. Previously, we we're a supplier. Um, and the way it sort of came about was uh, my predecessor literally had a relationship with uh, with adults and got a phone call saying, we need help. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we came along and helped. And, uh, you know, at that stage, it was compute uh, requirement. And so we worked together with that. And we were just really proud to feel like we were actually making a difference with the team. It's not, like you said, putting a logo on something. It's actually helping the team in what they do and helping them innovate using our expertise and our amazing team to help their amazing team. And then when the opportunity of, of you know, defending the cup... Um, and we saw the opportunity with uh, the rest of our portfolio, um, including digital manufacturing or 3D print. We were like, well, this just makes sense for us to, to get on board in a, in a better way. Cool, cool. Well, I'm, I'm definitely keen to, um, you know, to, to hear a little bit more about that as we delve in. Um, but first of all, I'm, I'm curious about the role that you know, technology and innovation has really played over the years for Team New Zealand. And Tim, while you, you know, haven't been there for the entire history, 
it sounds like you've you've watched pretty closely uh, and and have a you know a good knowledge. Um, what's your sort of take on how things have evolved over you know over the years since um, New Zealand's first America's Cup campaign in terms of the the technologies? I guess you know the the boats themselves uh, look very different. Uh, there's a lot of things from a, an outsider visual perspective, but there must be a lot that sort of happened behind the scenes from a design and, and tech perspective too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think to respect the past a bit here, if we had the technology 20 years ago, we would have used it, and and it's no less effort put in today than what there was with the more limited tools of the past. But I, I think mainly it's, well, two things. It's the tools we have available, and then it's what the boats have become. So, you know, you wind the clock back and look at Black Magic and when we won then, and probably some computing software around for hull shapes but it's still in the era where there was a senior naval architect that penned a design and it was a bit of dead reckoning and you know beautiful curves and things like that um, and then you, you look at where we are today with um, you know we've got this room of uh, HP cluster computers that, that run all our CFD simulations so you know to touch on what Ollie was just saying there it's, it's what's, not, it, what's CFD by the way? Uh, computational fluid dynamics so doing what you do in a wind tunnel or a tow tank uh, the rule this time uh, prohibits you from doing that um, physically so you, you have to simulate it and that actually was done to save cost um, not necessarily to pr- promote technology but um the technology is actually a lot better anyway. If we had the choice, we wouldn't do a tow tank test. Um, so, yeah, it's um, having the partnership to have that kind of uh, computing horsepower just sitting in a little air-conditioned room downstairs is, is pretty neat. It's not like we just had a whole lot of computers turn up in a box. It, it takes a bit of effort to configure that and get it working. Yeah. So um, that that role, um, you know, of technology. Yeah. I mean, I guess if we look back twenty years ago, you know, what was available to us was was nothing compared to what we you know what we have today. And you know, sometimes I look back at you know where was technology when I left school, and you know, I look at it and it's like, wow, it's you know thousands of times more powerful, and you know, we've got access to you know such incredible um, you know computing resources. Um, so your your I guess your is it a, your virtual sort of wind tunnel as I as I, w- I would put it or you know yeah. that that virtual environment um, I can imagine that just wouldn't have been possible you know by any stretch sort of you know twenty years ago to be able to do what you can do today no no not at all and you know the bits under the water are so important to they're they're the parts slowing your boat down the most if you get them wrong. Um, there's a whole lot of trade-offs, of course, underwater. But, um, yeah, we, we pay a lot of attention to our hydrodynamic shapes. Um, I guess going back a second, too, you know, with the technology here, when we uh, were the defenders and had to write the rule, we needed to come up with a class of boat, and we were collaborating with Luna Rossa on what boat to do. And we really wanted to get it right, you know, and, but yet we were pioneering a new class a complicated class that had a lot of sceptics and so we we had to iterate through a whole lot of crazy ideas that people were putting on the table and, and emerge with the, the victor of a new class that was going to be a good boat that everyone enjoyed and wanted to use again. And so we've actually got a simulator that 
is um, not just used for creating a rule, it's, it's used as a training tool as well today. But that was crucial in, in the development of the class rule was to throw some variants of all our crazy ideas on this new boat. And yep. um, we proved to ourselves that this was actually a, a good boat and, and we, we backed ourselves that it would work. And, you know, I think if you listen to some of the other teams there, there's quite a few people full of praise that it's actually a pretty decent class that all the parameters and mast height and boat weight seem, seems to deliver a good racing boat. Yeah, because you eventually, you effectively had to invent, you know, something that was that was new, right? You were just going, you know, we're going to do something different for, uh, for this yeah. series of races. Yeah. And, you know, everyone's putting many, many millions of dollars into competing, so yeah. if you stuff that up, um, that's, yeah. that's a pretty expensive mistake. So, did the technology give you a, a really, really high level of confidence in terms of you know, that, that this was going to play out well and uh, you know, have that right sort of balance of you know, speed and agility and, and I guess you know, safety's a factor too, right? Because you've got, uh, you got a bunch of uh, uh, folks that uh, are on this boat yeah. <laughs> going very, very fast. No, it did, and you know, we believed in our tools. We had developed them for Bermuda, and then we had to adapt them quite a bit to um, suit the monohull. But um, fundamentally, this, the same engine behind the simulator was evolved to, to suit the AC75. And yeah, I mean, in terms of safety, just to touch on that, these boats actually have proven to be safer than the catamarans. This guys are locked in the trenches mm. they're a lot less likely to fall over the side and the whole crew isn't running from one side to the other so um, yeah I think all in all it's come up pretty well yeah, that's uh, that, that's cool. And um, looking looking at um, the software that's behind it, you mentioned that had been used in the past. What's the story of that software? What's it? What's its history? Are you able to use a whole lot of off the shelf stuff? Is it all sort of custom coded, or does it sort of sit somewhere, you know, somewhere in between in terms of the bits and pieces you use? And of course, we want you to spill all your secrets <laughs> that none of the other teams. Uh, uh, no, no, of course not. Yeah. But um, you know, what what can you share? I, I actually couldn't tell you how many different pieces of software we, we run in the team because it, it's quite a lot. Um, and within each department, there's specialists. You know, we'll have one guy that designs printed circuit boards, and I couldn't tell you what his software is for that. But So there's, there's a whole lot of little niche softwares that we need to have. The engine behind the simulator is called Gombok, and that's my boss, Dan Berlusconi's... Um, baby and and so that that's a ground up uh, piece of software he's developed and that's quite unique in that it you know while it looks like uh, a PlayStation game when you're in the in the simulator it's um actually a live physics platform so we can throw into the simulator uh, you know one of our appendages foil shapes and put in the mechanical properties of it and we can throw the boat through tacks and jibes and we can actually learn the way the foils deform under various different load cases so it's a pretty advanced tool that you know gives us a lot of confidence and all of these things when you're riding them from the ground up are quite you know you have to start somewhere and get it going so it, it was a lot more basic in its first versions and and it, it's um just a always evolving bit of kit really that just gets better and better and and the more you, you know once you actually build your first boat you've got a lot of data coming off the boat so you you pump that back into the software you know a lot of it's based on some factors 
for for rates of movement and things like that. So the more the more you use it, the better it gets. Yeah, that's really cool. So. I would see that as something that really puts New Emirates Team New Zealand in quite a good position. As you know, every time America's Cup comes around again, you've, you've built on those those previous uh, things, and I guess in between times you have to keep developing it. How do you think that compares to any of the other? You know the other teams in terms of do you know much around how they they operate? Because I guess you know, say on the US side, we don't you know we don't have say Oracle involved. You know, they haven't mm. had them involved this year, so it's like there's a whole new team again. So are they maybe you know potentially starting a, a, a bit further back, and that we get that benefit of the the longevity of Team New Zealand. Oh, for sure, that longevity is one of the huge strengths of the team, um, but. To answer your question, I don't think you can really have a serious chance without a form of tool like this. Um, mm. The other teams all had them, we understand. And, you, you know, you look at American Magic, they had a collaboration with Airbus. So there's usually some big kind of software uh, deal going on behind the, the scenes with, with all of these teams. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's uh, that, that's really interesting. And so, you've, you know, you've talked about the sort of simulations. Um, I'm interested in where where um, the 3D printing part sort of you know comes into that. So obviously, there's a huge amount that you can you know you can do in software. Um, but it seems like there's uh, there's a bunch going on with um, with the 3D printing tech, and uh, 3D printing is sort of I guess one of those things that we've you know, we've talked about over many you know many many years, and most of us don't see too much that sort of goes on in terms of you know 3D printing. We know it gets used in sort of certain places, um, so kind of curious to to delve into um, you know how you how you actually utilising the um, the 3D printing tech, and I know. Um, Ollie, I was at an event um, in in Silicon Valley some some years ago. Um, it was with one of the automakers, actually with um, uh, with Ford. We were actually right across, the the location we were at was right across the road from uh, Tesla HQ, actually. Um, but uh, one of one of the things they were sort of really talking about a whole lot of new technologies coming through, and one of the things um, that was that was being uh, unveiled was what was happening with HP on this new uh, 3D printers. Mm-hmm. Now the technology has been, has been with us a little while, but it's not something that most of us would would actually see day to day because these aren't you know little home 3D printers or things that you see at the warehouse stationery. Um, this is uh, pretty industrial level gear, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, uh, and. Uh, that is probably one of the things with 3D printers. It's such a broad topic. When people see it, they think of what they see in a retail store or maybe at their friend's house. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, that is 3D printing, um, and it's an important part of it, but this is a, something completely different. And that you can be limited in your imagination by what you've seen um, and might think that that's the limit of the possibilities of the technology. I think what we've shown here is this is obviously at a different quality and, and finished part production quality rather than sort of prototyping sort of toys. Um, and, um, you know, I think one of the important aspects of this partnership has been the fact that we put the machine actually in the base, um, and that's what this sort of partnership has enabled us to do. So that sort of really changes the usage of it as well, is you, um, when you're having to outsource the, the product you can sort of 
um, take advantage of it in, in, in one way when you actually have it on site and you can literally hit print, wake up uh, the next morning and the part's finished, no shipping time, you start to get that innovation um, speed. You can sort of iterate more times. It's sort of yeah, three times faster because of just how quickly you can print off the parts as well. So, yeah. Uh, but back to your question as well, the sort of automotive industry is is huge. Yeah, you know, we've got partnerships with Ford and BMW and Volkswagen, uh, where they're literally making parts for cars. Now, a lot of people just wouldn't even realise that that the cars that are coming off the production line today actually have. Um, you know, 3D printed parts in them because, well, it's just how they produce it now. For them, it's not even news anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but for um, businesses to understand how they can apply it, it's sort of you need to go on that education piece to, to show them what is possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, I th- you know, I think you know, look, looking at that auto space, which is a little bit off, off uh, you know, off our discussion today, but, um, you know, I can see a tie back. I, I remember, um, you know, chatting through with Ford around how long it would take them to come up with a new car model and why they were releasing, you know, technology one day that already felt like it was it was out of date, right? And, um, you know, I think we've, we've seen that whole industry under a lot of you know pressure because of what's been what's been going on in uh, uh, in, in Silicon Valley and you know varying you know, companies like Tesla um, that have really sort of been upping that pace and I imagine there's a there's sort of a you know a crossover here with what you guys do um, Tim is that you know you've got to work at this incredible pace because you don't have you know ten years to design a boat or five years to design a boat um, it all has to happen pretty quickly and then you know what I guess what we've seen over the last few months is that there are actually you know, changes going on after the the boats have even uh, you know hit the water. So oh, yeah. how, how does all that sort of you know how does that fit together? How does this iteration work? And where does where does the three D printing um, fit into the mix? Yeah, well, yeah, you're right about the speed. We have we have to move really quick. Uh, it's the nature of the game, and uh, you know sometimes you've designed something and it's got built, and then. We've already, the sailors have moved on and they've already got a better idea and it doesn't even get used, you know. So, <laughs> so you're kind of always sprinting in a design sense. Um, that's part of the fun of it. It's, it, you know, we, it's quite an unregulated world we operate in, so we're not burdened like the aircraft industry with, you know, a whole lot of checks and regulations and that, you know, something might take two years to, to actually get on an aircraft at, at best. And then some of them still <laughs> stuff it up. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, going back to the printing technology, you know, Ollie touched on a kids' printer. That this is a the core of what we're finding it, um, with the benefit of the machine we have. You know, we've gone from the, like the printer we had the last two cups uh, in Bermuda and San Francisco was a um, I call them a spaghetti printer. The um, SLA printers that you know have a spool of plastic that. Um, squared out apart and the, the problem I mean they're great printers and they're very affordable and you'll have a, a lot of them in schools and homes and things and you can make some neat shapes but they fundamentally are like a layered component that has a, a grain effectively and so we found in our application most of the parts with that technology was quite non-structural um, you know little convenient enclosures and 
brackets and things, but it, it certainly had a uh, quite a physical limit to it. Um, the other unique problem we have is waterproofing. So we'd spend hours lacquering these things with three coats if we're making an electronics enclosure. You know, we're always on this weight-saving mission, so we're often taking a standard part and ripping the, the back off it that's heavy and trying to make a smaller, lighter um, enclosure. Oh, that's interesting. So yeah. what would those parts have been to start with? Um, well, we do a lot of our own sort of custom printed circuit boards now, mm-hmm. um, partly because we have this machine and we have the confidence to, to just do it from scratch. But, um, oh, you, you know, we had like a, one of the displays that we needed to run with a screen. It had quite a heavy metal back on it. We just printed up a plastic back for that. Um, Replace yeah, it. Yeah. That's pretty cool. But, you know, this so this... Um, uh, HP machine what it gives us is a part that's got no grain structure it's it's a sort of a homogenous uniform plastic that's got good nylon properties like a, a sort of um, rotary moulded or injected part so um, it's really created a new category of component that didn't really exist before and I so I think you know what I do is mechanical system design, and I'm, most of my work's drawing parts. And most of my assemblies have a lot of loaded structural parts in them: titanium, aluminium, metals that usually don't corrode. Um, but more and more, we're we're seeing parts of those assemblies be printed, and that's just because there's often semi-structural or non-structural components that uh, are just really well suited to that technology. So. Um, yeah, it's filling a, a, a really valuable niche, and and it's saving us having to go to a machine shop. You know, it's it's a faster, cheaper way to make a part that's often lighter and and better. Yeah, that's cool. And um, what's been the role of of three D printing in terms of helping you iterate and you know and, and improve on you know existing designs and you know testing and so on? How does how's that played out for you? A few different ways. We often will just make something that is an equivalent shape of perhaps an expensive titanium metallic part. You just might want to do a fit check and so spend a hundred bucks on a you know the the raw material of the plastic for a five thousand dollar part and make sure it fits. That so there's a bit of mocking up sort of dummy fitting that can go on. We actually make some small scale tooling so we'll use it to laminate a carbon fibre part out of because we know that we can have it done overnight um, and yeah it's that's, that's it really I guess with that um, you know that tight limitation on time you've only got a sort of certain window anything that can you know help you speed that up has to you know end up giving you a better boat and a better result at the end of it um, and you know, we tend to also have that um, the the challenge of you know we're not we don't necessarily um, you know have our have our team funded by you know um, somebody that's worth fifty billion dollars and just happy to keep you know doshing out the uh, the dollars. Mm. Um, how helpful is is three D printing from that perspective? I mean, you just talked about a five thousand dollar part. You can you know make sure you don't order the the wrong one. Does it end up making much of a difference? Do you think in the, in the scheme of things? financially or is it more the speed is the big benefit um, 
Oh, I think it does. I mean, uh, I think also we've got this wonderful partnership with HP and this machine just turned up one day, probably with a lot of haggling in the background I didn't know about. But um, <laughs> and it, it's, um, it's probably fair to say if, if we didn't have it um, there and hadn't actually had the opportunity to learn what it does, we might not have gone hunting for it um, because it, it is a lot more expensive than, than your home handyman machine. But once you've got it there and you've started utilising it, I mean, if we, we ran out of materials one day and boy, did, did it get missed when we had a bit of downtime. <laughs> you know, you don't realise how much you need it when, until it's gone. And um, yeah, I mean, we, we just... We really hammer it at the moment. It's um, we're probably doing three to four print runs a week on the machine. So um, and it and it's neat. You can, you know, the email will go around. Get your prints to me by by midday, and so you drop all your files in the in the folder. And one of our guys nests it all and. The next morning, you've got your parts in hand, and that's a pretty impressive turnaround. I, th- I think that's one of the been the interesting things about having it down at the base is because we use it as well because um, you know we're so close uh, to the team, but we've been really learning from each other. So they're pushing the boundaries on what it can do uh, in terms of uh, you know the waterproof qualities, and also in terms of um, yeah, and that's under pressure waterproof qualities. We hadn't even thought to test the product for that because we hadn't had, ever had a use for it. So the team's coming back to us going, did you know it's you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> up to this many PSI and whatever, and we're like, uh, or this many bar, and we're going, no, but we'll feed that back to the to the mothership and they'll be yeah. interested. That was the first thing I actually printed was a gut, like a rip-off uh, hose fitting that you could just plug into the end of a hose that just was sealed test off it. just to see if it leaked. And um, Yeah, it's, it's so important for us to keep everything dry. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's pretty good. And um, what's what's the sort of res- response from? Because where's this technology developed out of, Ollie? Yeah. Well, actually, you know, the the, the funny thing is uh, with our three D printing is it actually comes from our printing business. Um, you know, the, our inkjet printing business. Um, essentially, we've taken the technology of being able to place very small bits of liquid in a very precise location, which is inkjet printing <laughs> and applied that to um, 3D print which is you know we use um, fusing and finishing agents um, on, a, on a powder bed to you know apply the same level of accuracy so um, that essentially is done in the US um, and is constructed in, in Singapore um, so we are very close to our Singapore hub um, and we've even actually uh, one of the things in terms of where that machine was because it's in a very public um, space at the base um, and the airflow was coming out um, towards people that were walking past and straight away they were like this isn't really working because there's this hot air blowing out um, and so that we together designed a new part for the printer <laughs> oh, which cool. actually oh, was like an printer. exhaust yeah, yeah, made, yeah printed on the printer for the printer yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah and then we said hey here's a design if someone's got it, the same problem with it you know they're going to have people walking past this you can have an exhaust sitting there back and they're like oh well Look to incorporate that in um, you know, future, future iterations. So genuinely, you know, two teams really working you know, together on something that is very much leading edge. Yeah, as lo- as lo- did you you know put on there that if, if they end up adding that into future machines, it's got to have a, a bit on it you know de- des- designed in New Zealand <laughs> yeah. and you know bit of, bit of, bit of credit yeah, back to Kiwi ingenuity you know yeah I'll actually contact the team after this. <laughs> Oh, that's re- that's really cool. So, um, 
uh, you, you said an interesting thing there, Tim. That you know, if it hadn't been for the you know, the printer having you know sort of turned up, you might not have necessarily you know gone out looking for it because you didn't actually know exactly what it you know what it might be able to add. Yeah, that's right. And what it is is it it's a lot closer to a replacing a machine shop in a way. It's um, delivering us parts back that are, you know, like I mentioned, semi-structural. So we do... Because your machine shop makes things out of, you know, metals, right? Yeah. 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 So we we now do, like, a lot of the chafe guards and um, parts on the boat that actually take quite a beating. Um, they might not have 10 tonnes running through them, but they might be in a position where they get a lot of wax, you know, from stray ropes. Um, so... If you if we were to print these things in fluorescent pink, because the printer can, but we don't, um, and you could actually look at the See boat, it'd, yeah. be, it'd be really lit up with with the quantity of parts all over the boat. But sadly, we make them all matte black, so no one can figure out what we're up to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's cool. So um, yeah, with with that in mind, I'm you know I'm I'm curious um, you know about sort of you know looking forward, um, you know how do we see these sort of new technologies actually, you know, I guess you know, outside of Team New Zealand but looking at New Zealand as a whole, as a country you know, we want to be leveraging the latest and greatest of technologies but we sometimes have that challenge and I, th- I mean I think it's kind of a constant challenge really um, particularly with how many smaller businesses we've got where it's really hard to keep up with the play on all the latest technologies mm-hmm. and then there are technologies that might be, you know, in plain sight to some degree as, as what you've just described, you know, mm-hmm. where we're seeing all this 3D printing on the boat, although we can't, you know, we can't necessarily distinguish it. Um, there, there's, a, you know, always new things come, coming through, and I think, you know, Team New Zealand has always been um, an example, you know, to a degree of, of, you know, an extreme level of innovation that happens on our shores, but as a country, I think it's really important that you know, we need to sort of follow Team New Zealand's lead, as it were, in terms of how we do business and how how we leverage technology. Mm. Um, any thoughts on kind yeah. of how, how we change that? And I'm not saying we do really badly because you know we've got uh, we've got a, you know a lot of great things co- you know come out of New Zealand and um, you know Peter Beck's uh, announcement with um, you know the the latest um, from Rocket Lab you know it's pretty exciting and is is in a sort of you know sim- similar class where there's just you know uh, an, an extreme you know focus on utilising the best of technology and, and innovating. Um, so there's, you know, there's there's some comparison there, but but we need this this sort of thing just to be the norm, right, in New Zealand if we're going to, you know, keep uh, moving forward on a global stage. Absolutely, um, they actually use a lot of three D print. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, That's true. But, yeah. yeah, they do. So, um, yeah, I think there's t- there's two things. Um, uh, one's education, um, and I'll touch on that. And the other is, you know, one of the things that holds us back is our scale so a large US corporation will just go I'll just grab one of those and try it out whereas most New Zealand businesses just can't um, they don't have the scale to make an investment like that just on the on off chance that it might work and um, to Tim's point is, is going well they wouldn't have known how good it was if they didn't have it 
there's lots of people that don't have it, yeah. therefore don't know how good it is. So I think it's, we, we, we need to get some scale and some cohesion between different um, organisations and bodies to say, hey, we're going to invest in this type of technology and give more people access to try it and make it easier. So I think that's a really key one in terms of how the country can invest in not just 3D print but other technologies that can be shared um, and tested and, and sort of piloted. And then the other one, massive one, is education system. The education system is always just a little bit, you know, to keep up with the, that bleeding edge. And you really need people coming out of school and university going, I've got this under control. We, we took some um, high school students. It was actually the very last day of school last year. Um, and they were going off to do engineering at the University of Auckland. And when we took them through what was happening at the Emirates base, they were just like, I can't believe it. I've seen 3D print and it was this product that I couldn't do anything with. And you could see their eyes sort of widen. And I just you know, imagined them going through university having this, oh, but what can be next? What could I make? How could I make this better? And obviously it's a small group, but you think if we could propel that and make that broader and give more people that exposure to it, um, then you know we can, we can, as a country, do a lot better. Mm. Tim, you know, your journey, obviously the, tech, the technology you've used throughout your career uh, you know, must have kept changing. Uh, was there, is there anything sort of unique in the Team New Zealand environment that you've noticed, other than the fact that, well, I guess this is probably part of it, that you know, the whole country feels a vested interest in Emirates Team New Zealand's success, right? We, we all want that outcome. So you know, that sort of two degrees of separation, if, you know, if somebody has an idea or you know, has some technology or something that, that may help, Help, uh, and they've got the right connections in place. Then you know maybe you'll hear about it. But uh, you know, I guess you could end up with uh, um, you know too many inputs there at times. How does you know how does it look for for you and those um, on the team to you know keep up with the play on on technologies? Yeah, we have to be eyes wide open and willing to to take it on. Um, we have to be a bit cautious. You know we don't want to rush into something necessarily that suddenly puts something at risk um so we 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 do adapt to technology but we try and do it for the right reasons um yeah but i think we're always looking where we are a team where the hierarchy is such that you can put your hand up and have your say um and we've got quite a vast skill set of people that are in the team you know it's it's not all about you've got to be an ex-sailor to be on the team um, so we've got people coming from motor racing industries, from um, dairy factories in the Waikato that are good at control systems. You, like you name it, it's um, it's a lot of down-to-earth people that bring in experience with different technologies that you know really make us a rounded package. Yeah, cool. Um, and if we were to um, Step step back a little bit. Do you think that there's going to be a, a, still a fair bit of change ahead, or are things sort of starting to plateau a bit in terms of some of the you know some of the technologies that we kind of um, you know? Because I look at some some technology areas and you see these sort of you know great periods of sort of you know growth and change, but um, you know in terms of the sorts of things you you use, is it now more gradual change that you would expect to see over the years ahead, or have, have you got ideas or things? You've you've heard of that are coming that could be big game changers again. Yeah, I think it's always going to keep coming and coming in waves. Um, 
we take the 3D printing one as an example, um, you know, I, I do a lot of mechanical machine parts as a mechanical engineer. So to be a good designer, you really need to know the machine that you're designing for or the manufacturing method. So I've always prided myself when I draw a machine part I don't get the phone call from a machinist saying, how the hell am I going to make this? You know, it's this is impossible. I can't get my cutters in there or it's so complex I'm going to be here for days. So I'm always trying to find this right balance of process, time, money, the people to, to get a good part out there. It's got to be made quickly at the, at the right price. Um, and so then you go and throw 3D printing in the mix and you just chuck all of that learning out the window and so I've had to go through a real journey of re-educating myself about designing for a new type of manufacturer, um, the printer. And, you know, this printer loves complexity in, in terms of curvature. It loves internal cavities, which you could never get a cutting head into. Um, yeah, it doesn't like really thick concentrations of mass. Um, so, you know, you've you really got to understand the process, and that, that's been part of the journey for all of us using it is to... You know, learn the nuances of of this machine. Um, so yeah, I'm on that learning curve right now. There's a lot I still need to learn. You know, we're not just printing in plastic. We do use some of the local um, manufacturers in the laser sintering and um, electron beam for titanium and stainless steels. So there's a few parts like that on the boat. So yeah, it's um, it's always learning. Yeah. So what um, what machines do they come out of? The titanium parts and so on. Um, there's there's two primary methods that we use, and two uh, good. Well, it's probably more um, suppliers in New Zealand. So, one of them's a laser sintering technology, and the other one is electron beam. So, they've both got their um, sort of strengths, and you know, depending on the part, we probably pick one for one, you know, one or the other, depending on what we're up to. Um, yeah. Yep, hence that getting that and that knowledge and knowing which which to use for for which purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That's great. Um, was there anything else that we haven't that we haven't covered that we should uh, delve into before my my last question? <laughs> Depends what your last question is. <laughs> no. um, well, my last question was how 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 um, how are our chances of winning the uh, thirty six oh, Ameri- thirty six <laughs> America's Cup and um, and yeah, is is the technology going to uh, gonna gonna help us uh, you know bring it home on the day? Well, I think you know our job's been as a design team to put the fastest boat underneath the sailors and then let them go out and try win races and win the starts so you know we've tried really hard with all the technology available and a lot of hard work to create a fast boat it's it's hard to without having a lineup to say right now whether it's the fastest or not we certainly think it's competitive um it's a bit more unknown how well we're going to do on the starts but we're trying pretty hard um against our chase boat at the moment so yeah, I think I think we're going to go and give it a good bash. Yeah, well, the the, uh, the boat's certainly looking uh, looking pretty snappy out on the water, and uh, I guess in the you know, the races that we that we saw um, you know late last year. So um, very hopeful for some some good results. I'm hopeful. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> nervous. Try, try, try not to jinx it. <laughs> yeah, no, we. I think the history will say let's not count our chickens. So yeah, we're um, 
yeah, I was I was in San Francisco and saw some of the races. So, uh, you know, these uh, these these things can have unexpected uh, elements to them. So, um, I wish you wish you all the best. Very good, thank you. All right, thanks very much, guys. Yep, thanks much, for having us. Much appreciated. Right. Yeah, thanks for your time. Cheers. New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect.